It's time for faith and life to connect. I first go before God, working on who and what I am before Him and what He's calling me to be as a husband. Where our Christian walk meets our day-to-day life. Dealing with that baggage can mean anything from delaying the marriage to dealing with the baggage. For sure. And where it's okay to laugh a little. Meaningless days, I look at. <laughs> I'm looking at meaningless days and live happily with the woman you love, and I'm trying to figure out how they wind up in the same set. <laughs> We're not saying that the marriage is meaningless. Heaven forbid we say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. This is The Session with Tom Russell from Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. What triggers your potential spouse? And that you guys both agree, yeah, they are triggers, and it is, as we grow, something we have to work through. But we're going to give you sort of the grace and space to do that. It is time for Faith and Life to connect here on Rise FM. This is the session, and however you have found us this morning on air or on the podcast network at risefmohio.com, I'm glad you're here. I'm Scott, here with Tom from Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. Okay. Yes. Week number two of phobias. Yes. It really scares me. Uh (laughs) All right. So before we dive into it all, Tom, we're going to dive into God's Word. And and let's do that, Scott. Out of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. A very suitable passage for today, I think. I think so, too, yes. Last week we covered some of the, um, well, the more common phobias, but we didn't really talk too much about how you treat phobias. So our focus today is going to be on on treatment and therapies, and then we'll kind of go into some of the some of the other phobias that might be out there. So let's let's just start, Tom, with how you go about treating a phobia when somebody presents to you. Yes. Here I am, yeah. me and my yeah. blah, 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 phobia. <laughs> so, and what do we do with that, Scott? Well, the, one of the primary treatment strategies is known as cognitive behavioral therapy, otherwise known as CBT, to a counselor. And you say CBT is a very common language so a cognitive behavioral therapist, Scott, will teach you how to manage and, and also to alter negative thoughts that arise from situations that trigger, as an example, claustrophobia or agoraphobia, fear of spiders. And those are some of those fun names that we'll get oh, into. Oh, yeah. You're going to have fun with these. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to what? We're going to give you every opportunity, Scott. I have a fear of those big words. <laughs> you and me both. Phobia of it. All right. So All right. how does how does CBT work then? How do you go about actually executing that in therapy? Well, we want to try and help them reframe what they're thinking and, and to think differently. When you embrace the fact that if you have a thought, a thought produces a feeling. So what registers for us is this uncomfortable feeling that we don't like because it's driven by a thought that has produced it. So we think and then we feel. So when these feelings are going off, it also then can reverberate and go back on to what you're thinking and change your thinking. So they're very tightly connected. So as an example, one of the features or symptoms, if you will, of anxiety and fear is it has the capability of catastrophizing the thought. All of a sudden, it's not a little problem. It's not going to be a rainstorm. It's a full-blown F4 tornado. It gets much bigger. An example, early in my career, when I had to start paying 
estimated tax payments. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I, I remember one specific early in my career payment where I'm thinking, well, it's due day after tomorrow and it's $1,500 and where am I going to get this money? And the fear in me was actually growing, which that's very possible at times. So what happened was it came time, you know, I was praying about it and and I calmed down enough and I got the estimated payment out to make the payment. And here it was 870 some dollars. In my mind, the fear had grown 870 into 1500 now, our government would want to do that anyway. <laughs> Thank you very much for your extra payment. We'll double that next That's time. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You made how much? That'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it helps reframe that. In Paul's writings in Romans 12, 2 and 3, that if we can renew our minds, we will have different thoughts and feelings. So if we don't like the feeling, it's a good indicator that our thinking is not very positive, healthy, or growth-producing. Paul also wrote in Philippians 4, verses 7 and 8, the focus on that which is noble, that which is right, that which is pure. How do you feel when you do that? So see, that impacts our fear. Now, this other therapy that's mentioned here is rational, emotive, behavioral therapy. Yes! Which you people at least get down to normal words. I mean, so you call it REBT, which kind of right. makes sense. Yeah, radio does the same thing. Okay, so what is what is rational emotive behavioral therapy? Well, and, and Scott, it again is a little bit closer focus of how emotions impact thinking and how we want to look at what we're feeling and then how do we manage that it becomes really important. So with that kind of therapy, we want to end up, again, rethinking it. I really like the term reframing it. If we think differently, we're going to feel differently. And then we look at how are these feelings interrupting life? Well, I haven't gone out of my house in four days and works wondering what happened to me. Well, you know, that's a behavior that's taken place because of what they were feeling. So we want to impact it and we want to look and try and heal some of those feelings that are so uh, devastating. Next therapy you have here is relaxation and visualization. Now, if the last thing you want to do is visualize a spider. When we're looking at, if you use it for a treatment, and remember in the context of treatment, when we talk about relaxation and visualization, if you change what you're viewing. Now, there's a term in the clinical world that we call your safe place picture. And for my clients, I have a file on my phone of safe place pictures of Jesus and little children, Jesus with teens, Jesus with parents being hugged, held. So basically, you know, we have whatever size you need. Okay. <laughs> and the idea is then, you know, I will text them that picture and then they take it on their phone and they, they just spend time visualizing what would it be like to be in that picture with okay. Jesus? So now we've changed what we're thinking. We're inviting him into our presence. And his peace, it can be very overwhelming and very soothing. That is really well done. It helps you relax because you have visualized, you've changed what you're thinking. And believe it or not, your body has reacted to it. Now, we've talked about that before. Right. This next one, exposure therapy. This one's a little 
scary. Well, it is, and I don't do a lot of it. So in this form of therapy, psychologists create a safe environment in which to expose individuals to the things that they fear and avoid. The exposure to the feared uh, object uh, or activity or situation in a safe place helps reduce the fear and decreases avoidance. So if you experience, which that, that's what they're talking about when you're exposed to it, you experience it and you survive, all of a sudden you can look at it differently. You can change the thought about it, right? which changes the fear. Right. Okay. And, and so the key word there is survive it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let me give you one example that it explains it. I heard this in a presentation. Now, this is not something that would happen at Heritage, for one, because we don't have an elevator, but two, because I wouldn't, wouldn't do this. This individual had a fear of elevators. This counselor put her on an elevator and said, you'll... You'll hate me when you get to the bottom, but we'll work through it. And hit the button, and down they went to the first floor. She raced down the stairs and met her when the elevator landed, and she was right. (laughs) (laughs) So she didn't ride down with her? No. Just put her alone in the elevator? Yeah. Oi. Oi. Yeah. So see, she experienced it, and then they, they talked about how you treat that feeling and what happens there is when we begin to think this is going to be a crisis, then our bodies react to it. This is going to be traumatic. Our bodies react to it. Our bodies don't know the difference between a real crisis and I was just kidding, Scott. <laughs> Calm down. Come off the ceiling, would you? Uh-huh. Yeah. So it reacts the same. Adrenaline cortisol, paradrenaline, all hit the bloodstream. Your heart starts to race. You don't breathe as well. And you're headed toward a full-blown crisis in your mind that doesn't exist. So that's oftentimes when we talk about exposure therapy, it puts you in there, but then it helps teach you that you have control over your thoughts and your feelings there and how our God can be present during it. So we're talking about phobias today on the session. We're kind of focusing on therapies and treatments. And another avenue of treatment is frequently medication. Zoloft is not just an anti-anxiety, but it's also an antidepressant. Okay. And I think you could lump Prozac also treats some forms of anxiety, but it's also an antidepressant. It's been well known as an antidepressant, but it also has some anti-anxiety places Selexa is my understanding of Selexa is that it is primarily an antidepressant, but it also works on the body. So keep in mind, remember one of the what makes phobias so out of control and so difficult is your body's reaction to the circumstance. So if it's going to work on your body, it may help keep the adrenaline and keep the cortisol at a level that is operable and is functional and you're going to be okay. Lexapro would be another example of a com- what I call combination medication as, as in Zoloft and Prozac. It's a combination medication because it treats both depression and anxiety. Now, sparing us from getting too into it, a very simple difference between depression and anxiety is in depression, we would call it the diabetes of the clinical world because diabetes is a shortage of insulin. Insulin, right. Whereas depression is a shortage of 
Here's one of your favorites. Serotonin. Okay. <laughs> where anxiety actually is an overabundance of some neurotransmitters. Dopamine being one. Oh, you'll like that one. <laughs> it sounds like it should be one of Santa's reindeers. <laughs> Okay, we can go with that. <laughs> yeah, and, and so anyway, there's too much of it, and, and the medication actually helps balance that out in what we would call, I just have to do this for your benefit, Scott. Oh, why not? Why not? <laughs> in the synaptic gap. Oh, I see no reason to get that personal this early in the morning. <laughs> Isn't that some kind of land feature out in the west where uh, some kind of canyon? Is that attached to the Grand Canyon? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, but the synaptic gap is the gap between two neurons. neurons. Yeah, between two neurotransmitters, and they go back and forth. There we go. Yeah. All, All right. right. He's okay, oh. see, he can be taught. And real quick, Tom, another medication. <laughs> I'm going to make you pronounce this one. <laughs> yes. Benzodiapines? Very good. Okay. Benzodiazepines. <laughs> yes. Bless you. Yes. <laughs> so what, what do those do? They are primary the treatment for anxiety there they really there's not in my understanding any real depression benefit it's primarily to help with anxiety and and some of those can be taken regularly on a daily basis like you would take an antidepressant sometimes as an example lorazepam slash ativan xanax can be taken as needed it's it, a good word picture would be like an aspirin or Tylenol when you have a headache. You don't take Tylenol regularly because you might have a headache today. You take it because you have a headache. Well, you know you're feeling anxious. Some of them can be taken as needed at that point. If there's another thought about that. So when you take it, then you might know that there's a, uh, a very difficult meeting coming up today. And so that being said, well, I think I'll take it before so that I'll be okay during that meeting. Back when I first started getting to do uh, some preaching at our church, I thought, why not? Because I, I had had it because passing my state boards and it was very helpful to get through that. And I saw its benefits. Well, maybe I can go up in front of the congregation and, and relax. I'm thinking, that would really be a good idea. <laughs> So I tried it and, it, and it helped me be me up in front of the the church. Huh. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay. okay. So anyway, that's what. That's that's yeah. what the, that big word is. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so some helpful tips as we get closer to the end here, Tom. First of all, be realistic. Your fear that is ingrained in the way you think, feel, and act, it takes time to change this habit. Be persistent. You hit a snag, no worries. Just do the next thing. Dispute the thoughts. This is so important. The enemy attacks us on the battlefield of the mind. So those thoughts you want to dispute, are they from our God or are they not? And realize they're not, and let's dispute them. But we've got the greatest power possible to defeat those thoughts and to change those thoughts. In computer terms, to delete those thoughts. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death for you and for me and for those out there listening and everybody else, he's available. So that helps to feed him. Exactly. Hallelujah. Number two, do the basics. Oh, this is highly important. There's a direct correlation between a higher level of anxiety slash fear 
and sleep. There's a correlation between them. The higher the anxiety, the less the sleep. The less the sleep, the more the anxiety. So they're an adverse or opposite correlation where one's going up, the other one's going down, or one's going down, the other one's going up because of that very thing. If you're not sleeping, your body and your mind isn't getting a chance to rest and reproduce the necessary neurotransmitters and things that will help keep you balanced. Really important. Wow. All right. So renew your mind is the next uh, helpful tip. When we get rid of all negative thinking, trashy, ungodly inputs from music, television, uh, including the new programs on TV. I am... What? I can't watch the news? That is most depressing of all. (laughs) Uh, Question. The internet or video games. How about reading materials, including most popular magazines and novels, and replace them with God-honoring alternatives? You will feel different. The, in computer terms, what you put into it is what's going to come out of it. So you put trash in your mind, that's where you're going to be. There's so much positive to be said about Philippians 4, 7, and 8 that we should focus on. What, why is he saying that? For our own health, if we follow that, we're going to feel better because we're thinking healthier and that will have an impact. And we're winning in the battlefield of the mind. Amen. There oh, that's go. huge. That's All right. Huge. Number four, yes. pray. Well, there's a brilliant idea. What a, what a radical thought, Tom. Uh, we could have written this, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, so Philippians 4 is, is Paul's answer to the freedom from anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. In the English Standard Version, when you react to your problem with thankful prayer, peace replaces anxiety, even fear of panic attacks. As prayer becomes your habit, you'll experience peace time after time. When the thankfulness becomes a habit and doubt dissipates, remember this, God promises not to allow anything to happen to you that is more than you can bear. And so what's so powerful there too is that we will experience peace. There's no doubt about that. When we think about the whole level of anxiety and we're thankful, what happens when we're thankful, when we are grateful, what happens to us emotionally, mentally? We are going to be more at peace. There's less incidents or um, cases of depression and anxiety when we are more thankful and grateful. We tend to feel better. We have a better outlook on life. We then benefit from relationships more because they want to be around you now that you're more (laughs) (laughs) now that you're more pleasant. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. So good stuff. All right. So there are some basics as far as dealing with phobias and treatments and whatnot. And before we finish up with some odd phobias, Tom, if if somebody's dealing with the some issues of fear and anxiety related to a fear of something. Um, how can they get a hold of you to chat? I can be reached at heritagechristiancounselingministries.com. And as we ramp up today, Tom, we turn the page to some rather unusual fears. <laughs> now, I'm, I don't want to make light of these because they are real phobias. They are. I just find them, they're just not the stuff you hear about every day. That's for sure. You know, like this first one, vestophobia, the fear of clothing. 
well, aren't we glad that <laughs> we're glad not everybody has that? <laughs> but it, then if you ever wondered why communal living and was still going on, there Easy you go. go. Yes. So, yeah. Now, this one, I get a kick out of this because it's a fear of maybe a specific garment. Okay. Or tight fitting clothing. Mm-hmm. Now, I get that one because I can't breathe if it's too tight. Well, yeah. I get that. Good point. Yeah. All right. Then there's. <laughs> now, this one, I'm sorry if you have this. I'm sorry. This one just cracks me up. Banana phobia. <laughs> gee that's, do you think you know what that one is that yeah that's a fear of bananas one such case was reported in the daily mail and according to the report a female patient had been scared of bananas all her life so much so that she could not stand being in the same room as them without being nauseated that's got to make grocery shopping a whole new adventure oh it, yeah you got to see out of that section of the store yeah no fruit no produce you go straight to the frozen aisle yeah some of that can be conditioning meaning you they've had a negative experience with it and so they become conditioned that this is always going to be one and and so you know that might relate some even to some of the food research and helping what do you do at the di- dinner table with your children when they go huh Ooh, <laughs> i'm not eating that <laughs> what is that I mean, you know so everybody has their own way of of dealing with that so that can produce a phobia of wanting even not just bananas but how about trying anything new right yeah you ask my children they'd say yeah dad has definitely got that issue (laughs) (laughs) well i can't help but wonder if and i thought of it specifically with this one if it goes back to a fear that you had uh something when you were a child and you're a baby for example right and mom gave you some crushed up banana and you just didn't like the flavor you didn't like the texture and you threw it up right well, now you're not going to want a banana. Yeah, that's the conditioning process. That's, yeah, and, and mom kept forcing banana at you. <laughs> yeah. I don't care how many times Gerber, Gerber puts it on sale on the grocery store shelf, you're not going to eat it. That's for sure, and that's kind of where I am with lima beans and... <laughs> Beets. 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 And liver and cream potatoes. Oh, oh. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay, you're, you're in my wheelhouse. <laughs> All right, last one here. Uh, I want I want you to pronounce this. Oh one no no, <laughs> <laughs> folks! This looks like the computer got stuck. Yeah, you know, the keyboard got stuck on something. Yeah, hippomontros equipped uh, a phobia, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> that is the fear of long words. <laughs> And, and I have that, too, because I can't breathe long enough to get that all out. <laughs> I haven't even counted the number of letters in that, but it, in a 12 font, it takes about a third of the line to put it in there. Let's put it that way. Easily, yeah. So often brought on by early experiences of shame and embarrassment when pronouncing long words, this phobia may, be particularly, may particularly affect patients with dyslexia, According to a 2011 review published in the Journal of Reading and Teacher, for those of you thinking about what is dyslexia, well, we're talking about an inability to read and it gets reversed. Believe it or not, back when I was in the school community, there was some discussion for those folks who struggled and that they had it reversed was turning the paper upside down. Did so, it work? And it actually worked some. I'll be darned. Yeah, you know, see, but that was several lives ago. See, I could see this being, yeah, if somebody's got dyslexia or if they just have a, a speech disorder even. Right. Having to pronounce a long word, if you have a, a lisp or 
some other kind of speaking disability. That'd be torment to be expected to get up in front of the class and do that. Spelling bees. Yeah, and how powerfully negative that would be and impact a child's yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, without question. But I just, thought, I just thought it was very yeah. entertaining to have you read that, uh, <laughs> to do that name. But that's um, fine. So there you go. There, there. Yeah. You, if you just Google unusual phobias, you will find dozens of articles. Right. We could go on for another couple of days about just on the other, the not so common phobias that are out there, like a fear of bathing. That's ablutophobia. Uh, a fear of mirrors, a fear of hair. Oh, some of us don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, that's not much of a problem for me anymore. Yeah. Uh, a fear of belly buttons. That's an omphalophobia. And if you have to display a belly button out in public, you usually cover it with something. Oh, interesting. Is what they do, apparently. And I, yeah. who knew? You know, maybe you don't like your Audi exactly yes I'm, I'm guessing all right so there you go there there's the long and short of phobias and um join us next week as we continue on with issues facing faith and family yes. here on the session and once again if folks want to discuss the, their phobia with you tom how can they get hold of you and again i can be reached at heritage christian counseling ministries.com 